on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio, Utica Road. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Looking forward to doing this little uh, production from our palatial Utica Rome studios tomorrow. We'll be out there in the Mohawk Valley. Perhaps a stop at Holland Farms on the way. I can pretty much guarantee you that's going to happen. So looking forward to being in the Mohawk Valley for the program tomorrow. You can uh, listen to us online. You can listen to us on the radio. You can listen to us on the ESPN app. There's so many ways to take in the show. We appreciate uh, you doing all of those. But don't forget that you can also listen to us on your time. Okay, We have a podcast that we do. We take this little show. We put it into the Magic Podcast machine. We make a podcast. And if you subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, it gets sent to you, and you can listen on your time. It is a beautiful thing. Here's how you participate in the program today, 437-7644, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644 if you'd like to participate there. I got a couple good questions and comments off the text line yesterday, so fire away there, and uh, we will correspond as we go through the program. We have two guests joining us here on this Thursday. One is the head coach, Jim Beheim. He joins us every Thursday here on The Block, presented by Skinny Atlas Jewelry, our own Seth Goldberg interviewed Jim Beheim today, pinch hitting for the Axeman. So we'll listen back to that a little later on in the show as the Orange get ready for Florida State on Saturday. Florida State losing last night at home to Louisville in what was a pretty fun game to watch, by the way. I'll say this. I'm very curious if Syracuse can kind of do to Florida State what Virginia does to other teams, and I want to get into kind of what the identity of this team is going to be here going down the stretch momentarily. But Florida State, I I will say this, they are a darn fun team to watch. They are athletic. They attack the rim. It it is a highlight show and a half, and that was a really fun game to check out. And, you know, you just go watch the highlights of it, and you're just, you know, it's a dunk fest. So I'm wondering how Syracuse is going to match up with that team. I think it could end up being a fun game. I think it's game Syracuse can win, by the way, and we will discuss that throughout the program. So we'll hear Coach's thoughts on that and, of course, the loss to Virginia the other night and the press defense and all sorts of questions that people have on Syracuse basketball. We'll also chat with Howard Dolgan here in this hour of the program, your white-hot Syracuse Crunch, who last night 
extended a winning streak to six games. The Planet Fitness Galaxy Cup happening tomorrow night at the Utica Memorial Auditorium between the Crunch and the Comets. You'll hear it right here in Syracuse on ESPN Radio Syracuse and over in the Mohawk Valley, our friends at K-Rock, the home of Comets hockey. So we'll talk to Howard about that. Winning six in a row, and congratulations are in order for Grandpa. That's right, Howard Dolgan. We'll call him Grandpa. Congratulations to the new addition to the Dolgan family. We've got hot takes as usual to come, including where did talking about LeBron James retiring come from? Does this mean this means I'm getting old? This just this just means I'm getting old when people are discussing this. LeBron was drafted in 2003. This is just insane that this is even a conversation, but. That's where we are. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but the fact that it was floated out there and discussed is interesting. You know, Giant fans, I wonder how you're taking this in, and Seth just mentioned it in the update as we were just talking about Utica. Matt Patricia seems to be the guy for the Giants, and I think that given the candidates that are out there and if you're going to go down the road that, you know, teams have to do, who's the hot coordinator, who's the guy ready to take the next step? It certainly worked for the Buffalo Bills. It certainly worked for the Los Angeles Rams. But there's a pile of guys that don't work in that category. What is it about Matt Patricia that is right for the Giants, other than the fact that he has spent all that time next to Belichick? What is it about him and what he does and what he can do for the Giants? And I guess that's the $64,000 question generally about any coaching candidate. But of all the assistants, and there is a pile of Belichick guys that did not work at the NFL level or as head coaches elsewhere. Charlie Weiss. Josh McDaniels went to Denver and flamed out. He's going to get another shot just because that's the way the process works. And, you know, once upon a time, Bill Belichick went to Cleveland, got that team to the playoffs. But you just sometimes you have to do this somewhere else and kind of learn your craft and take it elsewhere. I'm just kind of wondering about Patricia, what makes him the guy for the New York football Giants? Because it seems we're heading down that road. We will uh, discuss that later. But not that bracketology is something I would lean strongly on here on January 11th, but in the for what it's worth category, uh, Joe Lenardi, in his latest bracketology, has the orange in. Now, he has the orange in, and they're uh, pretty much the last category you can sneak into, which is the last four buys not that we really need to discuss matchups at this point, but, you know, because people are into this stuff, if the season ended today, which, of course, it does not, it's not even close to, but Syracuse would match up with Texas A&M, which is a pretty good team, in Dallas. So the fact that they're still in that conversation, and I looked at Jay Abilis, does his great Illustrator rankings the other day, and Syracuse was still considered a top 50 team, you know, for all of the... And when you get in the bubble, and we're in the bubble, right, whatever, and I'm not just saying geographically here in Onondaga County, I'm saying if you are within the bubble, as you are a Syracuse fan, you follow this team day in and day out, you gotta get, you get sucked into the conversation. You have routines, right? You listen to radio programs like this. You read about the team online, be it Syracuse.com or Noon's Magician or message boards, or you're in your circle of friends, right? And they think a certain way, and they talk about the team a certain way. And, you know, our boy Joe in Liverpool called up yesterday, had a great poem for us. Paulie loved that, by the way, Joe. He would love you if you would call every day with a new poem. Just, you know, throwing that out there. 
So we're in our little bubble, in our little world, and we watch every minute and we think a certain way. And that's fine, and, you know, that's just what we do. But when you lose a game like Virginia and you've lost three in a row, it's hard to see the light. It's hard to, you know, as it says in the open of the show, you got to be positive once in a while, right? Love that uh, clip from Jim Beheim. And that's fair because while if you ask me to put money on it at this point, up against the wall, got to make a choice. Will this team make the NCAA tournament? If you had to put money on it right now, my answer would probably be no. As a matter of fact, I can tell you my answer would be no. It would be close, but I think they're just short right now. This team is certainly capable of doing it, though. So my question is, all right, here we are, January 11th. They've had a mix of games against non-conference opponents that you're playing up against, that you're challenging Right, You've got a great run of non-conference games that we learned a lot about, the Kansas of the world, the teams you lost to in St. Bonaventure, and you beat Maryland. And, you know, we're only a few games into conference play. But, you know, just look around the ACC, and even what Syracuse has done so far. You've won a couple of games at home. You've lost a couple of games on the road. Last night, Florida State loses a game at home. Duke has lost two games to Boston College and NC State. We kind of know, I can go up and down the ACC, and, and I can tell you, okay, well, this is what I think this team is. And a month from now, that's really not going to change much in terms of how they play. This is their identity. These are their good players. These are what they do well. The only thing that changes the conversation, unfortunately, sometimes is injuries. And Notre Dame is a team going through that now. Notre Dame is one team with Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell. They're another without them. And Matt Farrell seems to be working his way back, so they will get him back in plenty of time get their point guard back and get him back into the flow of things and get going. Well, we know the identity of this Syracuse basketball team is what? They're grinders. They play defense. They're limited on the offensive end. So they've got to, you know, really grind possessions. They've got to hit the boards. They've got to take smart shots. They have to capitalize on the offensive opportunities that there are there. If that's Pascal Chuku on the offensive boards, if that is Frank Howard's hot from the three-point line, if it's a game where Tyus Battle is playing really well and getting into the lane and getting a shot and feeling comfortable, if it's, you know, there's not a lot of options there, but there is a variety of ways that Syracuse can do things. So that's why this Florida State game to me is interesting, because Florida State, did I mention a few minutes ago how fun they are to watch? They are a fun team. You go into every game's different, every matchup is different, but you know, there's a certain philosophy that you want to lean on, right? And I think Syracuse is going into is going to go into more games, pardon me, down the stretch than not, saying, we've got to be kind of a monkey wrench. We've got to take another team out of what they do while we do what we do. Because what coaches love to say. And I understand why they say it. You know, when we don't worry about the opponent, we do what we do. And usually that comes from confident teams. That comes from teams that are winning a lot of games near the top of their league or they have such a unique style that they know it is hard to adjust to. And and Syracuse does have something like that in their back pocket. When you play a 2-3 zone defense, as much as teams have studied it, have seen it, and you're in the league and know it, it still makes you adjust. It still makes you think, and it's still one of those things that you can discuss till you're blue in the face all week long during a practice 
But until you get out there and see it, it takes time to adjust. It's the same thing with Virginia and how they play defense and trying to keep pace with North Carolina, who loves to run up and down the floor. And, you know, each team takes on a different identity, and you have to make the adjustment as quick as you can once you get on the floor. Well, that's now on the offensive end, too. That's the unique aspect of this. Because Syracuse is a team that's got three primary scorers, Matthew Moyer sometimes can get in there. As I mentioned, Pascal Chukwu was hot on the offensive glass. But that's why I think it's important going down the stretch that they figure out a little bit more of of ball movement. They figure out, okay, who's another option we can go to? And again, there's not a lot of choices there because your bench is so limited. But what... Is there to be done? And I'm, I'm asking this rhetorically. I'm asking this openly. I'm, I'm saying, what can this team do in your mind that overcomes just that there's that little bit of space? And I felt that, and I brought it up yesterday, and the answer to the question was Torian Thompson. Well, that's not a viable option, of course. What is on this team now? What choices are there? What steps can they take? So when you see something like I saw today and Joe Lenardi thinks they're a tournament team that you can agree with. Because there is time for them to do this. There's still opportunity to grab a signature win in league play or two, which I think you need on your resume. There was Duke last year and we all thought that win was going to be enough and didn't turn out to be the case. So as much... see. It's a different feeling today. It's good to have these conversations a day removed from a loss because the day after a loss, it's fresh on your mind in the Virginia game, and you kind of get wrapped up in some things emotionally. With a day to kind of take a breather on it, and I have not heard uh, Seth's interview with Coach Beheim. Looking forward to hearing that later and his thoughts on all this. But just kind of think about that, and we'll discuss it a little later. Because by now, you pretty much have said this is what we are but you still have to make improvement. You've still got to have a couple of wrinkles in your back pocket to throw at some teams. So what is the best way forward for Syracuse basketball? What is their best identity? And are they there now? Those are the questions. We will discuss them later. Think about that for a bit. When we come back, though, we're going to change gears. And we are going to discuss a little crunch hockey. They are white hot right now. Again, this is a team that had a 10-plus game winning streak earlier in the season. They're now on a six-game winning streak now. The Planet Fitness Galaxy Cup tomorrow night between the Crunch and the Comets. A lot to catch up on with Howard Dolgan, the owner of the Crunch. He joins us next. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. It is presented by Burdick Toyota. It is great to have you here. I hope you're enjoying our brief break from a winter's death grip on us here. Currently 54 degrees in Syracuse, New York. Downright tropical, but I'm sure many of you have seen, and if you haven't, uh, the upcoming weather forecast for Central New York. Uh, Don't tuck the shovels too far away, kids, because it's time to get back at it. About a foot of snow, ice, freezing rain, all the fun stuff. On the way. We got a little break. We'll take it, right? Let's warm this joint up with some hot takes, shall we? Hit me with that fancy open. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. 
Why, thank you, so are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Oh, you got to love it. Those of you uh, watching us on Facebook Live, and uh, you can't watch us on Facebook Live, by the way, just uh, like our ESPN Syracuse Facebook page or check us out on the ESPN Syracuse Facebook page. We stream all our programs on Facebook Live. Did you see me freaking out in here a moment ago because I couldn't find this little hot takes note sheet that I have? <laughs> That's the beauty. If you watch this thing on Facebook Live, you, we, you get the show just raw. What's happening? You get a look into the inner sanctum here. I'm like, this computer is not giving me my notes on hot takes. There it is. Finally, everything's okay. Uh, when did LeBron James retiring become a conversation? And I, I am in strict denial about this because this is just another one of those signs of I'm getting old. If this is even being brought up as a topic in any way, shape or form. Hot takes, by the way, presented by our friends at Agway Energy Services. Here's the thing about LeBron James' retirement and LeBron in general right now, okay? He's actually having in this his, someone do the math for me here, 2003, this is 2018, but boo. He's averaging 27 points this season. That's the most since the 09-10 season. He's averaging a career-high nine assists. He is averaging 8.2 rebounds. That's the second-best mark of his career. He's shooting 55% from the field, 39% from three-point range. And Look, you know the resume. You know the numbers. Four-time MVP, three-time champion, been in the finals six years in a row and counting here, 15 years into his career. Now, here's what he said. Quote, I've already went further than I thought I would go, which is why maybe that's somewhat of a conversation here. So everything else at this point is extra credit. I'm at 15 years. I don't know. I've been in the spotlight for half of my years, maybe more. I'm 33 now. This started when I was 15, so I can go more. 18 years I've been in this light, so I've already exceeded everything I've ever dreamed about. At this point, I'm just adding crazy toppings on the cake like my daughter would do. Just throw all kinds of stuff on the cake, and whatever happens Happens. LeBron enters tonight's game 126 points away from becoming just the seventh player in league history to score 30,000 points. And as our buddy Dave McMenamin points out, we've had uh, David Mack on the program for a while. We're going to have to get him on. Uh, LeBron is a realistic shot of retiring as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. If he were to average 20 points per game and play 70 games a season, he would need about... Five more years to eclipse Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record of 38,387 points. So you can read more of Dave's a column on this. It's great stuff at ESPN.com. And I'm just thinking, LeBron is, you know, the consummate example of how long somebody's in the spotlight. Now, he is not a good example of, you know, the one-and-done generation and, and things of that nature. Never went to college, of course. But LeBron James was starting to get major attention as a star when he was 15 years old, and he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he's in high school, and ESPN starts broadcasting his games. And I remember when this started to happen in, what, 2001, 2002. People were freaking out. 
that how dare ESPN show regular season high school basketball games and you're overhyping these kids and now it's just normal. Now, I mean, some people still kind of raise their eyebrows at it, but in 2001, 2002, people just thought, you know, ESPN was the devil for daring to do such a thing, right? So he's been in the spotlight for so long. He has been dominant for so long. And we're just so used to love him or hate him. And I I just don't get the LeBron James hate. I never have. The guy is, you know, was a model citizen. He's never done anything off the court, you know, legally in terms of DWIs or domestic violence or any of this stuff that we've heard. You know, people don't like some of his social stances, and that's fine. You don't have to like that stuff. But, you know... LeBron haters are some of my favorite people. I'm like, why? You would take him on your team in a heartbeat. Yes, the decision thing was stupid. And look, he's not perfect, but most of it is just, to me, it's unjustified. But those numbers that I read at the beginning of this are what are intriguing to me. He's 33 years old. Think, And now this is where some people will roll their eyes. But look, when you go to the NBA Finals six straight years, I don't care how great a shape you're in, and LeBron is essentially the Tom Brady of the NBA and how he keeps himself in unbelievable shape in his you know, physical routine. And you know, Dave wrote a great piece about that that we discussed a few months ago, and it's, it's remarkable. But I'm sorry, that the wear and tear of playing that much basketball, well into junior in the finals every year, the recovery time is shorter, that's going to catch up to you. But see, it kind of hasn't because I just gave you all the numbers that LeBron has. And Boston is a better team in the East this year, and it just seems like, you know, Cleveland, we write this article every year, kind of like they just wrote the article about the Patriots. When is it going to go down? Are they going to give them a better team? And Isaiah Thomas is getting healthy now, so we'll see how it all develops here. But I just really hope that you kind of pull a Ferris Bueller with LeBron James. And what I mean by that is life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. I know I'm somebody, and I'm not, as you guys know, I'm not the biggest NBA fan in the world. I mean, I watch it, I follow it, we discuss it here. I'm not a passionate NBA guy, but I know when LeBron James crosses my screen, I stop and I watch, and I often think about that. Like, do people realize what we're watching here and how amazing this guy is? But the fact that that even came up, like that's a discussion and he's willingly having it, I'm like, whoa. We're there already. That's hot. I just watched this kid play high school games on ESPN. Now he's there. And one reason he's even having the discussion, it would probably still be a few years off, is, you know, his kids are getting older. And, you know, as a father, anybody who's a father knows, like, you get to a certain point. And, and it sounds arrogant, but he's right. What else does a guy have left to do? The, it, You know what he has left to do? Be the all-time leading scorer. Multiple MVPs, multiple championships. He has the status as the greatest player in the world, and if he doesn't now, he had it and is going to get it back from either Steph or Kevin Durant or whoever you want to put in that title. I mean, LeBron has done everything. Surefire Hall of Famer. He's doing things outside of the game, media mogul, making movies. I think, isn't he remaking Space Jam? Isn't that coming out like this year or next year or something like that? And that'll kill it. So... These days, is that enough motivation to keep going for another four years? Because it's going to take about that long to become the all-time leading scorer. I mean, I guess that's kind of the last thing left to do. 
But athletes are different these days. They don't feel like they've got to play forever. Tom Brady does, but I just read that. I'm like, man, LeBron is the oldest 33-year-old I know. He's only 33. That's it. It feels like we've been talking about LeBron and watching LeBron for so long that it is like Tom Brady, that he's 40 years old and you're wondering when the end's going to be. He's only 33. It's incredible. I wanted to uh, get into this a little bit because I think it's interesting how this goes. I'm a fan of the Rooney Rule. I think the Rooney Rule is needed. I think if you didn't have a procedure like this in place, then owners, you know, be it the National Football League in this case or in other sports, would continue to do what they do. And there's a reason that, you know, Rooney, the Rooney Rule, right, Dan Rooney and the people that did this took a step back and said, we have to have this procedure. Now, it does have its flaws because you just don't want to be the token Rooney Rule guy that's been brought in, okay, we've satisfied the rule, we'll talk to you next time. There is nothing bad that comes out of going through the procedure, interviewing for an NFL head coach job because what happens and has happened is owners and GMs and people like, no, listen, we were going to hire this guy, but we brought this guy in for the Rooney Rule, you need to hire this person. Like, People in the, in the, what I mean by that is people in the league talk. They're on the phone all the time. They're in communication all the time. They're at league meetings. The, the circle of the NFL is so tight that it, when it comes up, you're like, hey, listen, you got, I know you guys are looking for a coach. You got to talk to this guy. We brought him in as part of our process. We wanted to hire somebody else, but listen, we were so impressed with them. You got to do it. That's just business. That's just life. People, you need people in your corner. And the Rooney Rule helps that happen. Now, the reason I bring this up is an advocacy group is calling for John Gruden's hiring basically to be kind of a, to have a probe because they're saying the Raiders violated the Rooney Rule. Raiders general manager Reggie McKenzie said Tuesday that he interviewed two minority candidates before Gruden's hiring was announced. Oakland tight end coach Bobby Johnson and USC offensive coordinator T. Martin. Now, let's just now hiring with, you know, within the organization, that's easy to do. T. Martin, NFL head coach. No, that's going to help T. Martin down the road. But we know that you're not having a serious conversation with this guy. Because people are wondering, well, if Mark Davis met with Gruden. A couple of months ago, and Gruden's in the unique uh, prospect at that time, he's a broadcaster. Like when you're interviewing coaches to be coaches, You've got to go through a procedure. But when you're just talking to an old friend, and maybe it happens to come up that if I want to have you as an NFL head coach, is the process the same? Because the Rooney Rule is structured for coaches. Gruden was not a current coach. I don't have this right in front of me, but what is, you know, is it, oh, so, look, the Raiders were willing to pay $100 million for John Gruden. You don't think they wouldn't be willing to pay whatever fine it is or take the hit on the Rooney Rule. Now, people that argue against the Rooney Rule will say, black, white, everything in between, your guy is your guy. Hire the best guy. Hire the best coach. Why would you insult somebody's intelligence by bringing them in saying, we all know we're not hiring you, but, you know, here we are. There are counters. There are two-way conversations on this. Trust me. If you're the Raiders, if you're any team, if you have your guy, and we're going to talk about the Giants next hour, and they have Matt Patricia. 
and he seems to be it, and they've interviewed a number of candidates, they're fine in this department. But you got to know what I's to dot and what T's to cross, even if we all know who is going to end up being there. Generally, I think it's a good rule. Going through an NFL head interviewing head coaching process is not a bad thing. T. Martin couldn't even get the Tennessee job, and they thought he was a favorite for it. But he can say, I interviewed for an NFL head coaching job. Which one? The Raiders? Well, you knew you were getting that. Yeah, but guess what? I'm in a club a lot of people are not. On that note, we will break. We're going to come back with some SU Hoops talk and kind of try to figure out what the identity of this team is going to be. We are going to discuss, as I mentioned there briefly, Matt Patricia seems to be the guy for the Giants. Are we doing that just because he's been by Belichick's side all this time, or is this the move the Giants should make? Thank you. Bye-bye.